0: Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Grumpy Metal Heads podcast We are continuing our series on the history of British black metal And we've been talking about for about 16 years the band Balsagoth And we're on to part <laughs> 6 with Shrub's 6 6 motherfucking 6 And in the previous episode we spoke about the 4th Balsagoth album, The Power Cosmic It was one of their best efforts the band had put together, fast-passing the third album, Battle Magic, which is fair to say we didn't enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) It's 2001, 9-11 hasn't happened yet, and Metallica's much maligned St. St. Anger is still two years away. The Power Cosmic has been out for roughly two years, so it was clearly time for Byron Roberts and his fantasy-driven band to bring out some more black power metal <laughs> for us not to be able to follow it was time for atlantis ascendant to be unleashed onto the world via nuclear blast records this was their first release via nuclear blast it was recorded from november to december in the year 2000. according to wikipedia this was the first album to be recorded using partially digital recording. I don't know what they did before, like just maybe yelled at a stone, something like that, and made it happen. Yeah, it would have been analogue recording on tape, and then they would have blended tapes. I'm I'm, I'm too young for, for anything like that. I just thought everything was um, using um, smartphones. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> we have Mags producing once again, and the album was recorded at Academy Music Studio, as with all the previous Balsagoff albums. Byron provides vocals and and lyrics. Johnny Maudlin handles keyboards. Chris Maudlin plays guitar. Dave McIntosh plays drums. And Mark Greenwell plays bass. Dave McIntosh played drums on this and the Power Cosmic before joining the at least once huge Dragon Force for 11 years, meaning this man can, and is without doubt, the most talented drummer Balsagoth ever have. Martin Hanford provides the artwork and Simon Lee provides the photography. This album continues stories from all the previous albums as an ongoing ambitious project which has involved everyone from Roman Emperors to the Silver Surfer. It's all been power black metal fantasy science fiction mashup so far and this album is ready to carry on the tradition and this is from the Balsagoth online portal. The resultant masterpiece and latest chapter in the epic saga of Balsagoth is the incredible Atlantis Ascendant, an album which shakes the very fabric of the multiverse with its sheer, unadulterated genius and unparalleled mastery of dark, baroque art, an opus unequalled in artistic might and pure, sinister dynamism. Atlantis Ascendant is testimony to the peerless creative potency of the mighty Balsagoth. Imperious Rex, the fifth chapter, has arrived. Shubs, I think that's a good place to uh, to bring you in there. Um, I'm sure you agree with the above paragraph uh, in full. Yeah, completely. <laughs> good. Much of the story of this album comes from the fictional journal of Professor <laughs> Caleb Blackthorn Third. He's an explorer currently working in Peru. He's not real, though. The album's journal starts with the instrumental.
1: The Epsilon Exordium. The Epsilon (laughs) Exordium.
0: And. And there's a lot of words to go with this instrumental, so we'll get right into it. So um, his journal was discovered in 1899. Our first entry is from the 23rd of September, 1893, near a great temple in Peru. Mr. Blackthorn III is extensively studying something called the Epsilon Exordium, a nefarious arcane codex. He is armed with his trusty gun and sees vague human-like shapes in the night. Sounds like me when I've had um I don't know. Um he is looking for something looking for something hinted at in his translation from a stone tablet discovered at Anchorat. This tablet long predates the temple structure. Echoing discoveries he made in ancient Egyptian pyramids and a few other places like Mesopotamia as well. Byron is definitely exploring the idea of clues and wisdom passed from lost civilizations to our oldest known civilizations and the continuation of those uh, lost civilizations like Atlantis and listeners to any previous episode will know that that's exactly the same on the other ones it's all about and the kingdoms of Atlantis and the kingdoms of Mu and all having big fights but still existing in some capacity to this day and something to do with space (laughs) (laughs) but the closer Kayla Blackthorn gets to the truth the more danger there is. Native guides have begun going missing without a trace and more of the strange shadowy creatures are looming just out of reach of the camp lights. there's just a tiger. I think this is my favourite ridiculous Palsagoth ridiculously pompous intro. It really does feel like the soundtracks are some kind of Indiana Jones-esque action adventure somehow involving space and ancient civilizations
1: yeah you know like the old japanese style godzilla films though yeah that's, that's that's the characters but they'd be in full color and would have been made in 2001 yeah not 80s. that's that's the level of the quality of the film that the music would <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's dull as dishwater uh, the, the the last two minutes don't add anything like um yeah. I'm I'm ready for the first song to kick in by about 1 minute into this intro to be fair. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely you are. Yeah.
0: I don't think there's too much instrumental after this, so we'll see. So, song number 2, Atlantis Ascendant. It's the 10th of October 1893. Roughly 2 weeks after the first entry. Again, we hear of the ancient evidence of a universal lexicon. Is it evidence of the imperial lexicon from the previous album, The Power Cosmic? I'm sure it is. The lexicon is antediluvian, with Atlantis at the forefront of a global network of ancient civilizations. We hear, via Blackthorn, the words of an antediluvian chronicler. Atlantis rose above all others, there was prophecies of doom, disaster, sea, and winged monsters spell the end of Atlantis. Atlantis. But the end isn't exclusively caused by natural disaster, no, space monsters from outer darkness come to destroy and burn Atlantis, of course. (laughs) <laughs> so to get into this, I, I, I really didn't like the keyboard tone in this song. It's so cheesy and nasty. And they start off in a typical Balsaga style. I liked Byron's vocals on this. I thought they were brutal and on point, And the drums it- managed to be ridiculous without sounding terrible.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. The drums throughout the whole album actually sound really, really good and punchy, um, which is quite nice the keyboards at times i thought the balance is in particular on this song i thought at times the balance was okay between that and the guitar tone i thought the guitar tone was good again for me still too much spoken word stuff when he does get down to do black metal vocals it, it he's on point and really really well done this again he's improved those um and like oh, you say yeah. some of his brutal vocals as well he's he's again he's he's improved those as well so when when it does come together there's some really nice moments in this song they just seem to overdo themselves a little bit like for me i thought this was one of the stronger
0: songs um on the album because of byron's vocals and you know the, the nice guitar parts and there's the drums wouldn't be out of place on um, a lot of black metal albums. Um, Certainly not the more extreme end, but like the the good black metal drums. And like you say, they're really punchy and things. It's a shame they never got the balance right with the spoken word stuff. But I can tell why they didn't play this song live, because it's so complex and it makes it so hard to follow. But I did really enjoy it.
1: It was one of the first songs where I started to get this uh, and this this feeling throughout that that comes across in this whole album that there's bands that that kind of like the darker heavier side of Clarny, because you get that bouncy rhythm, but then you've got like some of the intricacies that winter Sun do, yes, and that I just get throughout the entire album, oh yeah that's and that's, and that's a really good it, shout I couldn't drop it from any of the songs at all. it just seemed to be like that now i I I should go and have a look and see when Winter Sun started kicking out their stuff, but it, it sounds similar to because Winter Sun have been around for a long, long time, so it sounds like it could have come a, come around a, around the same time. I just think Winter Sun just seemed to do that style a lot better.
0: Wintersun Winter Sun were two thousand and four, three years after. Okay,
1: so yeah, but they would have been influenced from from seeing this sort of stuff anyway. Yeah,
0: definitely. Know. That's that. That's a really good shout. I, I very much hear. Um, the original winterson album um in this, um, just done in this in much more of a cohesive way that that yeah, I wonder I wonder if, um I can't remember the name of the Winterson main guy, but I wonder if he does cite Balsagoth as one of his um influences. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we're on to song number three, dragonis Albionensis. Obviously, Byron can't carry on uh, a flowing narrative without throwing in various stories, songs and tidbits to fill out the universe. And this is the song about the bloody lovely Albion. And so it was that towards the end of the age of mystery, the last of Albion's great dragon lord did gather. Because Byron loves the mighty UK. (laughs) <laughs> he loves his country, as we've seen mentioned a couple of times on previous albums. As we know, Albion is an alternative name for Great Britain, which Byron loves more than anything. An Oracle talks, they used to be dragon lords. These dragon lords are the descendants of Atlantean mages, obviously, and have fallen before something called the New Prosadium. An oppressive new faith is encroaching from the east, which the last dragon lords of Albion must face in one final battle. Yes. The Dragon Lords of Albion did battle on Dragonback. And you thought Game of Thrones was good, apart from season eight. (laughs) (laughs) The lords sing of banishing enemies back into the sea. The vow to make the world their empire. The narration of this song starts starts epically. (laughs) What follows is another Balsagoth black power metal song with ridiculous keyboards. I really enjoyed this song. The vocals are great and the story is fun and relatively self-contained for a Balsagoth song. At roughly the halfway point, we hit some proper synthonic black metal. It's one of the best minutes of the ba- Balsagoth discography for me. What did you think for this one?
1: Yeah, I agree. It's For me, I think that's the second strongest track on on the entire album yeah. like you say it's a lot more compact it seemed a lot more balanced with everything again yeah. still too much spoken word for my liking I, I, I just feel like it's it's like overused far too much and just either just scream the vocals or death metal the vocals out because he's good at doing both of those spoken word it's just it kind of switches me it was switching me off quite a lot on this album
0: Mm. Um, I, I really enjoyed this um, this song though. I think I think it's a really underrated Balsagoth song because it's not very well listened to on Spotify or anything like that. And I think it was one of the more balanced Balsargoth songs I songs. They just
1: get put off by the intro. <laughs> Go on, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a problem with with some of this, and especially when you have a three minute intro. <laughs> yes, uh, they, yeah.
0: I, I can totally see why that um might put people off. And luckily for me, it, it didn't this time because I had to write this episode. So I had to get through that three minute intro because, you know, that that black metal is is coming. It's just finally getting there. What I would say um is there is a great lyric video to this um on YouTube, and I'll link that up in the show notes. It made the song a lot more enjoyable for me to see that going on um as the song went by because there's some lovely artwork alongside it as well. But it's that's the problem that with this: to get the stories, you've got to research every song like you're writing a podcast otherwise I really don't think I would have ever understood Balsagoth um, because it's impossible to follow those lyrics listening to it you've got to go and research it and I wonder if Byron
1: used these. fi now lists the lyrics as well but they're not synced up but there's lots of because there's lots of bits that are in the lyrics that aren't Actually, sung. They're not even spoken. Yeah. So, it's, it, and it it is just like reading a book every time. And, and some people, it's just gonna switch them off. For those, I mean, I'm more interested musically in most stuff rather than lyrically. So, luckily enough, I don't, I don't get too bogged down in in it. But it, even then, because there's a lot of spoken word, and sometimes I do go to see the lyrics and, and read through lyrics, and it it would have put me off because I'd have just read it and gone, what what the fuck's going on? Literally. Every time Yeah It's difficult Even doing this podcast To try and follow The storyline Of what's actually happening Oh really... yeah I
0: feel I feel like I'm only Just starting to understand What's going on And then we're on to song Number four Star Maps of the Ancient Cosmographers <laughs> Which is a surprisingly short title For Balsagov And we're back with Caleb Blackthorn The third So part four, two days after the last entry, Caleb wakes from a vivid dream from what seems to be the perspective of an ancient ruler. He easily reads a cipher written onto some black stone. They were the words of a great, um, now I don't know how to say this word, thaumaturgist, which basically means magician, but it sounds all fancy, Um, but it's about as Harry Potter as it gets. The wizard has discovered a repository of knowledge which has driven his sanity over the edge. Contained within the inscriptions are a star map, with certain key areas marked. But the prize of this knowledge seems to be nameless and implacable gloom. With that, the fancy wizard appears to be hearing a transmission, or experiencing some kind of knowledge transfer from reading the lexicon. I can't really follow, but the fancy wizard seems to have opened a portal to direct universal knowledge, which is his burden to bear alone. The song starts with the usual Byron narration, which shrubs will love, and power metal-esque keyboards, which sound far too pompous to be black metal. It's another song full of exposition punctuated by slow interludes between acts. It's fine, other than the annoying keyboard sounds during this one. I, I, I really didn't like the keyboards in this one. There are parts of this song where Balsagoth sound at their musical peak, like at around like the one fifty mark to um, to two minutes. And... 2.45 to 3.15. Then again, parts of the song are a mess as there's just too much going on for me. Like it it, it just didn't sound coherent at all. I like the keyboards during the last minute or so, but I just wish they sounded like that throughout
1: more of the song. I completely agree with pretty much all of that. Like I say, it just seems to be the bane of them with, with trying to get across this story, but trying to make the music as complex as the story is. And sometimes it probably, it doesn't, Benefit from that, the complexity of the music. It, it, it's like overcomplicating everything. Yeah, and I thought this song really showed the overcomplication.
0: Like I said, there is there is good bits in it, but yeah, yeah. I felt I felt like this was um largely a, a very messy song.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think at times they 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 do some great riffs. They do some great melodies in there as well at times, but again, that, that sometimes they just overcomplicate the whole song and and it kind of loses it, and I agree with you. Song number five, Ghosts of Anchor Watt.
0: Three days later on the 15th of October, and Caleb has a restless night contemplating all the evidence he has gathered about the ancient civilization web of knowledge, which links the ancient monuments of the world and the knowledge they had access to. As Caleb learns, he begins to dread alarming the owner of the web and being investigated. Musically, this is a pleasant chilled interlude, and I don't think it was really needed. It was a welcome change from the uh, from the previous song, which was um, a mess. It was a little bit of a of a palate cleanser for me. But again, if you're listening to this in its entirety, I, I, I don't think this is um, particularly needed. But um, I, I don't really have much to say about this interlude. To be fair, no, I I don't either. Uh this is the Star Wars um, element of the um of the Bal saga. Next song number six: the splendor of a thousand swords gleaming beneath the blazon of the Hyperborean Empire, <laughs> part three. And the crimson sun slowly over the field of without <laughs> Um, so this is actually part three of an epic saga episode one the splendor of a thousand swords gleaming beneath the blazon of the hyperborean empire is to be found on the second balsagath album starfire burning upon the ice veiled throne of Ultima tool or I, I can never remember how to say that one we've got episode two the dark liege of chaos is unleashed at the ensorcelled shrine of azura Kai. Which is the splendor of a thousand swords gleaming beneath the blazon of the hyperborean empire part two. God, when you're having to take a breath, mid-title, it's too long. <laughs> Which is found on the third Balsagoth album, Battle Magic. And now we have episode three, Cry Havoc for Glory and the Annihilation of Titans of Chaos. The splendor of a thousand swords <laughs> gleaming beneath the blazon of the Hyperborean Empire part three I can finally start explaining the song. And this is where we have a continuation of the story between Xerxes and Altaurus. Uh, and Xerxes reaches the end of his training after enduring great difficulty and many albums. He can now <laughs> command the mists of the Oracle and the great eye of the universe opens at his bidding. Here's a final test before the elders. But before then he wants to be allowed to gaze into the sidereal vista once more. I shall always find you. To witness the final outcome of that great struggle between Lord Angsar, the Dark Liege of Chaos, I shall always find you. versus the Royal Sion of Hyperborea. Here we see the final battle. The King of Atlantis rallies his troops. For one last act of defiance against Chaos amid the mounds of corpses. Lord Angsar, the Liege of Chaos, accustomed to battling gods and winning, is rather confident. Some more crystal shit happens, the ninth crystal of Mira is snatched away from the king and the shrine where they are is magnifying its power. This power finally releases the Chaos Liege from the fetters which bounded him for so long. And he directly teleports to the battlefield. I shall always you. But the king still stands. Defiant with a few survivors, but still not broken. Lord Angsar tells him to bend the knee, and the king says no. Back and forth, enemies forever. You're mean, you're meaner. And they charge into the final battle. <laughs> the king is rather handy with his special sword and manages to lob the head off the arch wraith, somewhat balancing proceedings. But the magic behind the Chaos Liege keeps renewing the enemy numbers. But of course, while the king has the shadow sword, hope always remains. This is the sword containing the essence of Angsar's arch foe. He can defeat Angsar, but it will come at a great personal price. Now, the essence of the Immortal starts to talk to the king. Maybe the sword grew a little mouth. He talks about defeating the Chaos Liege and his imprisonment in the Chamber of Slumber and transferring himself into the sword as the Chaos followers had the Immortal on the brink of death. His essence would only waken when Aangsa returns, which he now has. The king must combine his life force with the Immortal to bring him back to full power to give them a chance at defeating the Chaos Liege once and for all. The king must give up his life for the cause, and he doesn't hesitate because he's a very kingly man. This makes those following him all love him and stuff. Lord Angsar doesn't like the idea of his arch-nemesis returning to full power to do battle once more. As the king is transforming, merging, whatever, the Dark Liege is summoning his monstrous hordes. The soldiers and the abominations do battle for a bit, they fight to the last man. But apparently, no one knows how it ended. But our friend Xerxes vows to find out the truth for Altaurus. musically this is a seven minute behemoth of a song our first 45 seconds are sci-fi is shit with byron providing the voice as ever the black metal is laid down strongly and um, again it's like after two minutes 30 and there's a fun couple of minutes here Um then there's like more voiceover there's too much of it then we've got some keyboard baz- um, madness, but again like when it's going like there's really nice balance but there's too much spoken word yep I wish the guitar tone and the keyboards were better produced in this one. I, I really could, I really think they could have been as epic as bands like Dimmu um, if production was better. And while it's messy at times, this song is heavy, fast, and technical. I enjoyed it, but it, they just never really reached the potential for me. And yeah. I, th- I think there could have been so much more without the spoken words. And we've said it so many times, but we just keep coming back to it every single song.
1: Yeah yeah pretty much yeah it yeah it, for me the spoken word tends to for me it just seems to break the flow when yes exactly something then all of a sudden you have Byron just doing this spoken word bit and then you're like and and then all of a sudden you get this sudden change in song structure again it's almost like they've got like 15 songs just pieced together for one song Yes, you like, and and the only bit that you, the only reason you know you've got 15 songs is because you've got 15 spoken word parts. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, here's here's song number, you know, 12 of 15. Yeah, Basically, you know, but obviously we're behind saying right, you know, we've got this ogre now come out now, um, so that's and that's ogre number 12 that's just going to get killed anyway. But yeah, you know, it's it's just just stop doing the spoken. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> when, this song, when,
1: the, when this song does go, I do enjoy it. Oh yeah, there's some really but, r- good riffs on here. There's some. It's probably some of the darkest riffs I've heard them. Right? Yeah. Times on here, but it was you're just getting into that, and then all of a sudden the spoken word comes up, and next thing you got this hoity-toity keyboard going off, and you're like,
0: "What? Yeah.
1: Come on." Still enjoyed it, enjoyed it though. When it went, I yeah. enjoyed
0: it. Spoken word ruined it again. The dreamer. <laughs> Song seven, the dreamer in the catacombs of Ur. In the journal of Caleb Blackton III, it's now 17th of October, 1893. Uh, Caleb is darkly musing about his friend and colleague, Ignatius Stone, who is a ta- talented archaeologist. Dr Stone was last seen in full command of his faculties at least 18 months ago while exploring the ancient Sumerian city of Ur. Dr Stone dabbles in the occult, particularly on the branches dealing with the Catonic deities once worshipped by the people of Ur. You can tell this is Lovecraftian as fuck. Yeah. He sent to he sent a letter days before going missing to Caleb before setting off to Earth, talking about a discovery which would prove the cyclical nature of the universe and rewrite the origin of man in Earth, stone went crazy, gibbering about horrific visitations, which would grant even the sanest person complete insanity. When Caleb visited him, he just talked about monsters lurking at the periphery of our existence. This sounds a lot like a Terry Pratchett uh, dungeon dimension idea, like at the from the early Discworld books. That I really wish Terry Pratchett had continued with. He kind of kind of abandons it early on in the universe, and like for the past, for the last like thirty books, because there's a lot of Terry Pratchett Discworld. Uh, they never really? mentioned the uh, dungeon dimensions again, uh, and I love that part of it. But anyway, so we're back to the Balsagoth dungeon dimensions, and here. Caleb transcribes some of Stone's rantings. Stone wails about not heeding the warnings of the ancients. Lost and trapped among the ziggurats of Ur, the warnings are carved into the cuneiform tablets found in Ur. Stone appears to be trapped with the catonic deities. He went for enlightenment. He only got damnation. There is an ancient dreamer here, obviously. Apparently... They will awaken when the seal of the seventh city is broken. And when that happens, the horrors of the abyss will consume the earth. What did you think of this song, Shrubs? Pretty
1: much the same as all the rest.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's some lovely black metal in there. There's some Balsagoth at their best and heaviest. There are other similar sections like this throughout the song. It's masterful. In fact, this is one of the heaviest Balsagoth songs that I can think of. From two minutes on, there's some weird choral backing vocals that are, that are quite spooky. I like this. The way Byron says, err, uh, is really cool in this song. If you listen back to it, um, I, I really like how he delivers this one. Um, you were talking about hearing bands um in this. I heard quite a bit of Nile in this one. Okay. Which and I and I absolutely love Nile. And then there's a weird flute bit in this, and I thought it was going to spoil the song, but then it didn't. Late on in the song, after the four-minute mark, there's some lovely black metal. Um, and I think this is one of their best songs and probably my favorite on this album. <laughs> And then there is another like lovely um YouTube lyric video to this as well that I'll put up into the show notes. And yeah, um I think this is one of my um my favourite Balsagoth songs.
1: Yeah, I think it's a I think it's it, it's definitely one of the and I think it is the stand out standout song on, on the album. But like I say, I I was struggling with this album after a while because it, it, I think it is definitely for me, it's one of these albums I've just doing chunks. I yeah, can't. I had to do this across a week. I couldn't do it all at
0: once. So <laughs> We're on song number eight now. We are getting there from the journal of Professor Caleb Caleb Blackthorn III. We're on 20th of October, 1893. It's another three days since Caleb's last entry. In this one, he is discussing his belief about Antarctica. <laughs> hiding evidence of civilizations even older than Atlantis. He believes he has evidence to prove his theory to the world. So now Atlantis isn't the jewel of the lost world. Now it's the lost city of Antarctica. We're super going to care about and be sad about the lost utopia. Beneath the eyes, the endless lies of Antarctica. The secrets will be rediscovered and men will be enlightened by what is found. Oh, and something about the hollow earth theory. The keyboards are a little different in this one and sometimes get in the way of Byron's vocals, making it sound messy. What do you think, Shrubs?
1: Uh, yeah, I again, far too many keyboards. Again, some nice riffs here and there. Yeah,
0: I made a note of that. I really like the guitar work in this one. This primordial
1: metropolis. That that just seems to be the play of this album at times they get, they get the keyboard and guitar balance. Right. Again, his vocals, I think are the, when he actually gets down to doing like what we want as vocals, the not spoken word parts, there's some of Byron's best that he's done throughout, but yeah, sometimes it's just too messy. Again, I just, I feel like every song just feels like that they, they're two or three songs that have just been mashed Together and sometimes it comes off. Sometimes, sometimes it works, but in some instances, it just just doesn't. And like you say, I, the keyboards are a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, I, but I very much do think this was the album where I did start to understand the appeal of Baal Sogoth Like um, looking at the stories for like six albums, I, I was starting to like root for some of the main characters in there and. To When it does really go to really enjoy it and watching the lyric videos, it it was really fun. But for the the casual listener, it's just going to be so hard to jump in um, and enjoy this stuff because you're just not going to know what's going on. So we're on song number nine, The Chronicle of Shadows. I have very little idea what's going on here, and I've read the lyrics. Um, A commander of the night talks about how the immortality of man brings him to some dark gates of oblivion. For it is the iniquity of man which compels him to these tenuous gates. (laughs) He's done some cavorting. He's ruined some virgins. We have something about succubi and being like a wolf. Shadows stalk in the gloom, a crystal skull is shattered, tortured souls lay supine before the abyss. The greatest evil lies here, and it will scare away all the lesser evil. He brings forbidden knowledge via all his blasphemies. He controls demons, monsters and colossal beasts to do his dark bidding. He will keep summoning humanity here as long as he has power to do so. This song follows the usual Balsagoth template of a spoken word intro before building some power black metal for the first verse. Then there's some more verses, they switch it on for this album, which is a nice balance between the narration, brutality and the pompous side. But still, there is too much spoken word, even though the balance is better. There's another great performance by Byron when he does go for the black metal vocals. I thought they were really good, complex, harsh. I love that part of it. We've said too much about the Spoken Word already. This song is Balsaga Through and Through. And I was never a massive fan of the Balsaga guitar tone, but I think it's at its best during this album. Do you agree with that one, Trubbs?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the guitar tone is probably at its
0: best that we've heard so far today. I love the way the song finishes like the last lyric I believe is revel in the triumph of the dark and that was fun brilliant <laughs> stuff. I, I was really in the mood for um for Balsaga when I was listening to this one to be fair. Uh, but we are really getting there I know time is starting to uh, be against us but we have song number 10 six keys to the onyx pyramid. <laughs> And we're on the 29th of October, 1893, nine whole days later, the fiends finally attack, killing five people. Caleb discharges his ammo in vain. These things appear to be made of darkness itself. Night is drawing in and he must face it alone. He fears he will never see another sunrise. He finds an alcove outside of the temple he is currently trapped in. He knows there are six keys to the onyx pyramid, which conceals a truth too much for humanity to handle. He lays awaiting his fate as Balsagoth draw another album to a close. This is a short instrumental to finish out one of my favourite Balsagoth albums to date. It took a lot of albums, but I finally get Balsagoth. No words can make you, the listener, get Balsagoth either. But hopefully, our little hit series prompts you to try. So... Shubs, I've got no more notes on this one. Have you got any final uh, words to say about Atlantis Ascendant?
1: No, it's definitely not. It's not their best album, but there are some really, really good bits in this and it can be enjoyable. But if you're interested in the story, you need to start from scratch and go all the way through all the albums. And listen you- to them all.
0: It's it's a Tolkien-esque journey. And I think Balsagoth and why we're continuing to do this series are, are important because they did influence so many people and, you know, influencing power metal hugely by uh, Dave McIntosh, the drummer, becoming the Dragonforce drummer, and that yeah. very much changing the UK music scene for... Um, for quite a few years and influencing the power metal side of things as well. Yeah, you've got influences on Wintersun, you've got Nilex sounding things, and there's, there's many influences that we're going to explore later down the line as well. For me, this is one of my favourite albums, but um, in terms of the rating, it's not that important. It's like exploring this story, and we've got one final episode to do with their 2006 album, The Catonic Chronicles. I'm currently midway through writing that one, and we will explore it very very soon so from me and mr shrubs 666 we will see you again very very shortly thank you to all the listeners please give us a share please give us a like give us a review somewhere it drives more listeners to us and helps us to continue this thing because we want everyone to hear it and it's great fun to put these episodes together so once again thank you all and uh we will see you again very soon